listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for June 28, 2020, the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Rev. Peter Walsh. It's based on Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. So good morning, everybody, and welcome. So pleased that you are joining us, those of you who are near to town and those of you who are far, far away from our town. This morning, I would like to say a few words about spiritual warfare and about prophecy and about righteous rage. Now, I have been preaching for something like 28 years, and I just have to say, I have never said that sentence before. These are not topics that I I often speak about, and uh, disclaimer at the front here, I am no prophet. Uh, I remember many years ago, there was a job that I really, really wanted. And the application had five questions on it. And the first question said, we want to call a prophet. Tell us how you are a prophet. I couldn't answer the question. I never applied for the job. I seldom speak of spiritual warfare outside of uh, a sense of inner spiritual warfare and uh, spiritual wrestling. wrestling. I mean, on my email, when there is a subject line referring to spiritual warfare or prophecy, I usually hit delete immediately and ponder about readjusting my spam uh, settings on my computer so that I will not receive uh, such messages uh, from the the super uber religious that are trying to communicate with me. And the truth is, I seldom, if ever, speak of righteous rage. But this morning, I want to speak about all of them to say that what is unfolding in our world is a form of spiritual warfare that is being dressed addressed by a prophetic movement, and that today's scripture addresses how we might react to all of that. Now, I come to today's topic not just by what is happening in our world today, but because this is the topic of the gospel we just read. Spiritual warfare is the context of the gospel reading. Now, today's gospel, as you just heard it, of course, is really three verses. It's really just two sentences. I mean, how different is that than the 46-verse pieces that we were reading during Lent from John's gospel? But in order to understand the three verses today, we need to understand the context that they come from. See, these three verses are the capstone and the culmination of chapter 10 in the gospel according to St. Matthew. And the content of chapter 10 has been the gospel readings for the last two Sundays. So I just want to review here so that we can understand the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus is driving at and how we might react to Jesus's teaching. So in chapter 10, Jesus summons the 12 disciples and he prepares them to send them out and they become the 12 apostles, apostles being those who are sent out. And he he commissions them, he empowers them, he instructs them, and he warns them about what is to come. You see, he is sending them into conflict. They're very arrival will cause a kind of spiritual warfare. 
And he is empowering his apostles, his disciples, to do the work that he is doing. In other words, to heal, to cure, and to, play, to proclaim the good news of the coming of the kingdom, right? So he gives them this power to heal. He gives them authority over unclean spirits. But he also gives them very particular marching orders, very specific instructions about where to go, uh, what to do, what to bring, how to enter a village, where to stay, and what to do if and when you get rejected. I mean, this is right out of the manual, right? Uh, then he warns them of persecution. He says they are sheep amongst wolves. They are to be wise as serpents and innocent of, as doves. And he said that some will be flogged and dragged before authorities, that there will be tumult and uprisings and hatred, and some will die. I mean, this is, this is an intense thing that Jesus is laying out here. He says they will be maligned, but they are to endure. And they're not to be worried about what to say because an implanted word in the Spirit will speak through them. They're to have no fear. They are to know that God loves them. God counts the very hairs on their head. Now, God doesn't have a lot of counting to do on my head, but the point is that God knows everything about them, and because of that, they need not be afraid. And that the Father in heaven, God the Father, uh, as Jesus calls the Father Abba, uh, and Jesus will recognize them for their labors. Jesus also says that there will be a great unmasking, really an unmasking of the truth. He says, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. Then he says those words which, you know, <laughs> they're a challenge to us, right? He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. In other words, the conflict that they are moving into is a conflict that is part of Jesus' very mission from God for the very reason that the Messiah has come. So this sword that Jesus is talking about is the sword of righteousness that is to cut away an unjust peace. It is the sword of divine love that will not be satisfied by anything short than love. And this sword will cause division, cause division in families. He tells them that they are to take up their cross and to follow him, that they are to lose their life for the sake of the gospel. And therein is their saving grace. And now we come to today's passage, right? And so to some degree, uh, today's passage is addressed to those who do not have a special calling from the Lord, have not been called to be an apostle to be sent out to those who are not a prophet and to those who are not a righteous person doing God's will on the move. In other words, those three verses, those two sentences are addressed to you and to me for most of us, perhaps all of us listening to this stream, are just common people. And this is addressed to common people, to common disciples of Jesus. And what does Jesus say for us to do? He says that we are to receive these holy people and to do something for them. 
Now, when you take the whole of chapter 10, what Jesus is describing is a very high-risk situation. It is a spiritual war zone, right? It does eventually get Jesus killed and many of his disciples and apostles, too. I want to say that what is happening in our country and in many parts of the world today is also something of a spiritual war zone. So the the Black Lives Matter movement and many, many other people and movements preceding the BLM movement, right? The MLK and the racial uprisings of the 60s, the NAACP, the Equal Justice Initiative uh, have been saying to the dominant culture for years and years that our black and brown brothers and sisters, for them, life is something like a spiritual war zone where dangers lurk that do not work, that do not lurk for the white people, for the dominant culture in our society. So for example, if you ask almost any person of color, uh, many if not most will tell you that these parents of color talk to their children about what to do uh, if and when they are pulled over by the police. And they, they give them instructions that, that, that white parents, uh, who may also instruct their children about what to do when they're pulled over by the police, do not include, right? So in this conversation, these parents of color, uh, in so many ways, echo uh, Jesus' teaching to his disciples, right? To be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, and to be careful not to be flogged and dragged before the authorities. This is just the way it is, right? Now, with the videotaped killing of George Floyd, the, the banality of evil wrought upon one man for that eight minutes and 56 seconds, uh, this has created something of a revelation, right? A revealing, a, a prophetic revolution, a way for the white culture to see what black and brown people have been living and telling us for generations. So as, as Jesus said from his teachings in the 10th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. We are living in the midst of a great uncovering, right? So the truth is, though, that black and brown suffering has been in view for a long time, right? And it took George Floyd's videotaped murder to be the tipping point where finally and at long last the systemic and structural racism that has been covered in plain sight by a culture of denial and apathy, right? By, by, this, by this denial and apathy in the white culture, the dominant culture, it's been uncovered and it's in plain sight for all of us to see. And it is raw and it is ugly and it is heartbreakingly terrible. And it always has been, right? It always has been. But in this moment, in this video, in this murder, and in this death, there has been an incredible unleashing of a righteous rage, right? This has unleashed a righteous rave that has burst forth like a righteous volcano, and it is shaking the foundations of our flawed culture 
that does not leave equal room for our black brothers and sisters. Forth a molten lava of love that seeks to consume and burn away the sin of racism, the culture of denial, and the apathy of no empathy, right? To create a world where there is a level playing field for all and for all God's children. I believe that this anger is a prophetic movement from God. Now, I do not mean that all of the rioting and violence and looting is of God. I do not mean that every angry statement and every statue that is pulled down is from God. And I do not mean that every legislative proposal and every political accusation is from God. But I do mean that the anger of oppression, the anger of oppression denied, and the frustration of oppression finally being seen by the dominant culture is of God. This is a prophet's anger. This is a prophet's rage, and it has spiritual and theological virtue. This prophetic rage shakes us out of the illusion that the world as it is, is what God wants it to be, right? Prophecy gives us the word. That's what prophets do. They give us the word to show us where we fall short on that plumb line of God's universal love for all, right? Prophets call us to account. They admonish us to do better. They encourage us to go forward. Prophets do not predict the future. They speak to the power structures in situations of now all the prophetic witness in the scriptures is talking to a now moment, right? I mean, Jesus spoke truth to power to the religious authorities of his day, as he did to the teeth of the Roman Empire. And the prophetic, rising, the prophetic voice rising up today is speaking to our dominant culture. And this has always been a very, very dangerous thing for black and brown prophets, we need to look no farther than Martin Luther King Jr. And we can see that in somebody like MLK, there was the implanted word that burned and that came out of him to lead, right? Today's prophetic movement joins a long line of of biblical prophets, right? So the Hebrew prophets, we have Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And in the New Testament, the gospel according to Luke understands and sees John the Baptist as the last in that long line of great Hebrew prophets. And Jesus himself refers to himself as a prophet. Remember when he goes to his home village and he announces that he is the Messiah and they want to kill him. And he says, no prophet uh, is respected in his hometown. Uh, and they want to throw him off the precipice. And Jesus demonstrates that prophetic rage, right? The, the cleansing of the temple and the turning over of the money changers table, uh, an act which in 
the Synoptic Gospels, is the last straw and leads the religious authorities to the final belief that they need to kill Jesus. Now, I believe that the prophetic uh, anger that is rising up today is in this vein of Hebrew prophets. I believe it is in this same vein of Jesus turning over the tables and saying, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all people. Imagine uh, Jesus might saying something like, uh, my father's world shall be a world for all people, right? And so what are we to do, right? We are to receive. That's what the scripture today says. So the Greek word to receive is used eight times in two sentences. It's translated the way I read it this morning from the, uh, the NRSV translation as welcome, right? We're to receive and welcome Jesus' representative. We're to receive and welcome the prophet. We're to receive and welcome the righteous person. And by so doing, we actually receive a spiritual reward, right? So what does it mean to receive all of these holy people who are on a God-given mission when there is nobody likely coming into our home and there is no danger for so many of us this message. So perhaps it might mean this today. How are we to receive a prophet? Perhaps it might mean that we are to receive the prophetic movement. Perhaps it means that we are to receive and welcome the prophetic anger Perhaps it might mean that we are to house this hard message in the home of our holy hearts. We are not, not to glance away, to, to parry it, to soften it. We are to house it. We are to bring it in, right? This past week, I had a great conversation with Alison Grusecki, who is known to many of you on the stream. Uh, Alison is a longtime member of St. Mark's, a former senior warden and a Yale-trained PhD scholar in the Hebrew Bible. And she greatly deepened my understanding of prophecy. And when I told her what I was thinking about, she said, oh, that reminds me of my professor, one of my mentors, who." Uh, she taught with Bob Wilson, Professor Wilson, who is a world-renowned expert on the Hebrew prophets. And she said that Professor Wilson would say, um, if you do not listen to the prophetic message as though it is being addressed to you, you're reading it in the wrong way. The prophetic message is always personal. It may be structural and systemic, delivered to the power and authorities in its day. But it's also personal. And you're not going to get, you're not going to get the power of it unless you download it into your own system. So the, in the prophetic movement today, if we might understand reading the prophetic movement of today, like reading the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Writ, the history of God's people, each of us must look not only to the culture and to the systems, but to our own lives and examine our own biases. And then what does Jesus say? Well, he says, we are perhaps to receive this righteous rage with grace 
and do something about it. I mean, Jesus says, you know, he uses the, the example of giving somebody a, a cup of cold water, right? And, and by this, he is saying uh, in a type of he, Hebrew argumentation, which uses extreme examples to make a point, everybody can do something to help the prophet, to help the righteous, to help the Jesus representative to help the people of God do the right thing. And then we get the crazy thing that those of us who are just common people will be rewarded for helping. I mean, this is a crazy time, right? We've just, (laughs) reading the newspaper is a wild undertaking. The coronavirus, the pandemic, the pandemic of racism, we've been quarantined, let out. Some parts of the country are being quarantined again. But it is such a fantastic time to be alive, right? It's, it's such a blessing to be alive now. It is so raw. It is so ripe. I mean, it's all broken apart. And it is just ready for common people, just regular people like you and me, right? to be part of a movement of God, to, be, to, to join the Jesus movement where love is the way, right? And so let us, let us follow that loving way. Let us follow our Lord and let us follow the prophetic movement of our day and, and make an equal playing field for our brothers and sisters who have not, who have not enjoyed it. And let's, let's, let's follow Nike and just do it, right? And there are many, many ways, and we'll all find a way, but it is a holy thing to do. And then wildly, Jesus says, we'll receive our reward too. But really, the reward is this, because it is in giving that we receive. That's what Jesus teaches us right? It's in giving that we receive. So the more we give ourselves in love to help those who just haven't been so, boy, the rewards are overwhelming. What a great time to be following in the vein of our Lord's life. Amen. Peace be with you. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.